sprinkle of longevity thrown in for good measure. Uh, this episode is going to be dedicated to Zone 2 training, where I'm mainly going to be uh, talking about how it relates to athletic performance and how it's a key training interval, I suppose you could call it, or a training zone um, for achieving peak athletic performance. There'll also be a little bit of how it promotes all around uh, health. Uh, for people who are in the endurance sport kind of environment, uh, Zone 2 has been uh, quite popular recently, um, running slower to run faster in racing or train slow to race fast. It's kind of become very popular, especially with all the discussions around polarized training. But there is also still people from other uh, areas of the fitness industry who still rely heavily on high intensity work. High intensity is critical, but this episode is just going to be talking in relation to the key benefits that are sometimes overlooked of zone 2 training and how often people think they're in zone 2 but aren't. Um, as a high level summary, the benefits of zone 2 training are as follows. An increase in the number of mitochondria, uh, increase in mitochondrial efficiency, increase in metabolic flexibility, uh, lower resting heart rate, uh, decreased blood pressure, lower risk of injury, uh, improves insulin resistance, improves your ability to run or cycle or swim whenever your endurance sport is for longer, improves your resilience and ability to deal with increased load, and specifically training stress, uh, improves your zone 4 and 5 um, function or performance, and it also improves overall longevity. So as I already mentioned, uh, train slow to race fast is something many people in the exercise performance industry will have heard of many times before in recent years. Uh, the training regimes of some of the greatest athletes can uh, definitely teach us quite a lot. The 80-20 rule is one, of the, is one that for the most part stems from assessing the way um, that elite athletes, elite endurance athletes specifically train. Um, but is this the best way for time-restricted athletes to train is a key question often raised. Uh, zone 2 training or low heart rate training is also one of the best tools uh, we have to achieve me metabolic health and longevity. Uh, low zone 2 heart rate cycling, swimming, rowing and running, all those kind of aerobic endurance sports are also key to improving performance and minimizing the risk of developing stress-related injuries and overtraining. This is specifically not saying that those activities are, but more within a training block, utilizing a greater amount of low intensity allows for a greater training volume uh, with a lower chance of injury. If you were to try to do 10 hours a week of ultra high, like of high intensity, like threshold work, um, then you are going to get injured isn't even the best word it's just overtrained, really so that's kind of one of the initial key benefits there of zone two so things are clear throughout this episode and so that we are not uh, sort of swapping between metrics such as power and pace i'm going to stick to uh, the zone the five zone heart rate model for this episode um and it's used available in all forms of sports because if I were to talk about uh, power or FTP then you would be very uh, restricted to uh, cycling if I were to talk about pace then you'd obviously be talking about running if we were talking about 100 meter splits or whatever then we're talking about swimming so heart rate is obviously the the zones may drift a slight amount like you you may have a higher heart rate um running for the a given zone two uh, session but for the most part zone two heart rate is going to carry across all your endurance sports so zone one which is about 50 to 60 percent uh, this is where the body will be or should be as we will get into later, uh, reliant on fat as its fuel source for making ATP, which is the body's energy currency. ATP is necessary for all muscular contraction, forceful or non-forceful. Just it is necessary, just as necessary as we need oxygen to function. Um, 
This corresponds to anything below about 50% of your maximum heart rate. This value should be an actual achieved value and not one from the 220 minus your age calculations. Although this can be provide a guide if you rarely uh, train or race that hard really. Um, I personally uh, at the age of 22 I think when I achieved the number. Um, so only a, a year or two ago. Achieved 196, so 220 minus my age should have been 197, and I achieved 196. So that's a kind of how close you can really be. For me to for, to actually achieve something that high, I think the lower your fitness in a way, I think the easier it is to achieve. You can go out and do almost one really hard rep or two really hard reps and hit it. Whereas as you get a higher level of training there needs to be some kind of preload on there so often say for myself i would have to do maybe three or four sub maximal efforts and then the final maximal effort where i've already got a reasonable um, preload in the system i feel to achieve that final number so the 220 minus your age is not ideal but it's going to give you a good rough guide um, then moving on to what we're talking about mainly here is zone two so this is 60 to 70 percent of your maximal heart rate this is the key zone of today's discussion and is where some glucose will be used by the body depending on your training status but you'll be fully aerobic and lactate measurements should be below or will be must be below to, uh, two millimol per liter the likelihood of you actually training and measuring lactate levels are incredibly low but just in case you're browsing other formats and see uh, training below two millimol then that that effectively what it is it's the kind of the the number that is uh, sort of pinned as being the point at which you exit zone two um, then zone three, this is 70 to 80 percent. Lactate begins to rise. You're still aerobic, um, but uh, it's kind of like that slow burn kind of setting. You probably, depending on how well trained you are, you can do this for quite a long time. It's that sort of tempo area. Um, you're going to have more uh, type two muscle fiber contribution. There will be more lactate in the blood, but it's still quite maintainable. Then you've got zone four. 80 to 90 percent um, even more type 2 fibers uh, lots of glucose uh, utilization and more and more lactate production um, then you've got zone 5 which is 90 to 100 percent this is still aerobic but predominantly type 2 fiber contributions incredibly glycolytic and um, we're talking about four minute power uh, or four minute running or whatever four minute max out intervals that maybe you can do five repetitions of kind of thing that sort of level not it's quite easy 90 to 100 percent is kind of an easy zone for people to like consider and bed in zone four is kind of like uh for running and cycling it's kind of like that thresholdy area it's that sort of depending on how well trained you are it's a it's a value you're going to be able to hold for an hour and it's going to be somewhere in that 80 to 90 percent range um, people may also add um, a sixth zone for more granularity or seven or eight um, but for the sake of this we'll just stick to a kind of a concept that there's a five zone model i'm probably only going to talk about zone two and zone uh, four really I mean might sprinkle three and five in there but now you've got an idea of what it's easy enough to just type in five zone model I think even Strava on the heart rate model uses a five zone model so easy enough to find that okay so we have already very briefly covered this but what is zone two training uh, zone 2 can be looked at as a training zone where you will be stressing your mitochondria and your oxidative capacity the most. Uh, you'll be using a high amount of fat and using pr uh, pr primarily your uh, type 1 muscle fibers. Now an interesting thing, especially if you are finding this and have come from a sort of the muscle 
gain, weight gain kind of gym, bodybuilding, powerlifting kind of area. I think general health and fitness maybe. Uh, the concept of burning fat as fuel is often put forward as something that is uh, conjured up from diet and obviously going into a ketogenic diet is is going to elicit that benefit. Um, but a lot of emphasis is quite literally put on that and putting butter in coffee in the morning and these sort of things in reality and then and then proceeding to do high intensity work in fact high intensity is going to primarily use uh, glucose it needs that uh, fast burning uh, fuel source that it can utilize to fuel these high intensity efforts now low intensity your body is going to prioritize if you have done enough of the training um, fat simply because it's in abundance yes it takes slightly longer it's not as fast acting but you get an incredible amount of ATP from it if you allow it for time to carry out the process so what are the mitochondria um, they're sort of assumed in a simple way of looking at it as being a bit like the engine effectively give them fuel and they simply chug along um, it's sort of the case uh, however like a f sort of people always refer to them as a finely tuned race engine they require your attention to work on like for to work at peak operating conditions so the healthier your mitochondria are the healthier you as an individual will be and the better you'll perform in zone two uh, poorly functioning mitochondria or mitochondrial dysfunction as will often be mentioned is seen in people with heart disease, dementia, type 2 diabetes, uh, metabolic syndrome, cancer, and so on. The list of ailments continues. Um, in uh, So in t the mitochondria in your immune system will uh, dictate how well your immune system will often perform. Um, mitochondria dysfunction is also a root cause um, element of insulin resistance. Since nearly 50% of people have insulin resistance, especially in America is a real big uh, topic so when it comes to mitochondria the issue we uh, care about are the number of mitochondria we have uh, the metabolic flexibility of your mitochondria in in many diseases the mitochondria can only process glucose and not fat uh, this flexibility leads to significant downstream effects on the body and then mitochondrial efficiency and uh, which is how well your mitochondria process the various substrates glucose fat and lactate so this is simply kind of why zone two then as we'll go on to later feeds into the high intensity work is people it's hard to understand how training in what is arguably quite an easy realm is going to improve your high intensity work because you think oh, well it's not it's, there's not the same but it's simply i mean partly it, people always say this but it is quite literally laying down a foundation because you need the mitochondria to be able to utilize other substrates for example uh, lactate and glucose you also want to preserve that glucose as best you can so by utilizing fat that does that and the higher up in, the faster you can uh, run, swim, ride, and still utilize um, fat, the better athlete you're going to be because you then have a reserve of uh, fast-burning uh, glucose there for the times when the energy demands are are extremely high and in reality for things like marathon running where it is really just kind of like a time trial even then you don't really want it to be glycolytic maybe for your kick and maybe a little bit of uh, like glycogen contribution but you can't just rely on gly glucose for two hours no matter how much food you're eating so it has to be predominantly fat based by that very definition Yes, in cycling it's a bit different where 
you noodle around a lot and then you have to put these huge bursts so you really do need that different in energy systems but that's still going to come from your metabolic flexibility and the ability to switch between fuel sources and use them as and when necessary and then for the general public the metabolic flexibility is just going to help you in your day-to-day rather than being sat there after like six hours from eating and starting to get really hungry or fluctuations in blood sugar because you are so dependent on glucose your body is your mitochondria are able to just carry on functioning and provide what the body needs you may still feel a bit hungry but your your level of function is not going to be diminished okay so now those bits are out of the way i can really start getting into zone two which kind of already have a little bit but hopefully you're still with it uh, zone two training is also referred to as base or aerobic training uh, for different references all elite athletes spend months in base training at least 75 to 80 percent of their active uh, training is also in zone one or two Uh, This is what is often referred to as polarized training and is becoming quite popular at the moment really. It's usually 80-20 split is kind of seen in a lot of places at the moment. So during zone 2 training you will increase your number of mitochondria, your mitochondrial efficiency and increase your metabolic flexibility. Uh, metabolic flexibility refers to the ability for your mitochondria to utilize fat and glucose as an energy source aka switching between different substrates at low heart rates your main source of fuel should be fat not glucose poorly functioning mitochondria which are likely to be found in as much as 75 percent of people will result in metabolic inflexibility or the inability to utilize fat versus glucose and this metabolic inflexibility is effectively insulin resistance to some extent is the body's lack of ability to go from glucose utilization back to fat utilization Um, people who are poorly trained uh, sedentary or those with insulin resistance as i've just said type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome which is hypertension, abdominal fat, insulin resistance, high A1C, are very poor at utilizing fat and often go straight to glucose as fuel source very quickly when tasks are as mundane as walking. People can go out for a lunchtime walk and just, because they are so sedentary, just rely on glucose. And that's when you can get people who start to move around a little bit and just need a a sugar hit. They just can't perform very low intensity tasks uh, this is almost the very definition of metabolic inflexibility this produces excess lactate and due to the poor mitochondrial function their clearance of the lactate is incredibly poor uh, and as the lactate builds rapidly it, you know it leads to this discomfort uh, accompanying lactate is a hydrogen ion that hydrogen charges the ph of the local environment Uh, in this case skeletal muscle and uh, uh, produces weakness and exhaustion that's kind of when people talk about lactic acid burn it's not actually lactic acid but this ph um, change as a result of the hydrogen ion as a result of uh, production of lactate Uh, in addition there is a fair amount of uh, literature showing that the uh, chronically elevated levels of lactate have a very significant consequence on our health this is a point where most people who have carried out any form of endurance sport will have their ears perking up. Zone 2 heart rate training enables you to use fat as an energy source for uh, for much longer and more efficiently in comparison to a, a poorly uh, zone 2 trained individual. Um, thus you preserve your glycogen stores for much longer. Uh, glycogen gets broken down into glucose which serves as your fuel source for higher intensity efforts uh, one end uh, um, produ- um, one end product of using glucose is lactate it's effectively a prerequisite uh, for utilizing glucose uh, now lactate isn't the devil to exercise as people often think or claim in training in, in trained 
individuals, specifically well-trained individuals, uh, they can shuttle the lactate between, um, back into the cell and use it as an additional fuel source. That requires an active transporter, which is the MCT1. The more zone 2 exercise you perform, the more of the transport protein you will make, um, and that improves your ability to clear the lactate. The mitochondria are what is taking the lactate in and use it as a fuel. So simply, when you're exercising and this lactate is being produced, if you're highly trained, that lactate won't show up in the blood. It will instead just be utilized again by the muscle as additional fuel. And that is why then an individual can have a higher output and still be sub 2 millimole because the 2 millimole, the measurement in the blood, is effectively when you have reached the capacity for the muscle's ability to utilize the, um, the lactate in the muscle and it's now being shuttled into the blood to be used just by anything in the body it could be somewhere in your arms it could be your heart it could be another organ that's why you then can start having burning sensation in other muscle groups because they are now being asked to process lactate that is excess in the blood um and that's just as simple as that Zone 2 heart rate training optimizes your muscle's mitochondrial function. When uh, functioning well, our mitochondria use fat, glucose, and lactate, all three as fuels. In zone 2, you're using fat oxidation as your primary source of fuel for energy production. And in our muscles, we have type 1 slow-twitch muscle fibers and type 2 fast-twitch muscle fibers, as they are often uh, differentiated. Uh, type 1 fibers have a plentiful mitochondria and prefer fat as their source of energy. Uh, type 2 fibers are glycolytic, meaning that they burn glucose. Uh, burning glucose produces lactate, which again can be used as fuel um, if you are well trained. Well, the more, the better trained you are, the more uh, lactate you're going to be able to reprocess. Um, in others, lactate and an accompanying hydrogen ion buildup. The hydrogen that is the reason for, as I've said before, the um, burn. A, f a good little bit of information here is type 1 and type 2 fibers. They are often referred to as slow and fast twitch. The, they are not actually twitching any faster or slower. It is actually the forceful nature of them. So a type 1 fiber is less forceful and less glycolytic than a type 2 fiber, which is more glycolytic and um, twitches with more force the way we then uh, determine how much force we apply in total because a, a fiber can't actually change how much force it twitches with is just our brain turning on the right number of uh, fibers to elicit a given uh, response now Another little bit you can, the way to make this kind of make sense to people is when you do, you find someone doing an interval specifically on the bike because you're, you've got a mechanical system involved. Some people will spin faster um, to achieve a given power, especially it's useful to see it when people fatigue what they default to. Do they start spinning faster or start really spinning slower? Obviously, at some point, they're going to stall and it's going to happen to everyone, but some people will persist at a slower cadence. That, from the twitching speed, would sound like, ah, the person who's turning slower is slow twitch, the person turning faster is fast twitch. But now that you know that it's the forceful nature of the fibers, well, by rotating faster, the total work done, the actual the power output, your force now that you need to implement from your leg into the crank is lower, which then would signify that you are likely someone utilizing more slow twitch fibers because although you're moving faster, it means you don't need to twitch with as much force to get the same power output. And then someone who's rotating slower probably more uh, type 2 biased because they are utilizing the more forceful fibers in their musculature to elicit the power at the wheel or crank or wherever you want to take the measurement from. Um, now, as I mentioned, that hydrogen ion, um, it does change the microenvironment around the muscle cell and makes it far uh, less powerful and you can lose more than 50% of your muscle power as hydrogen builds up 
this is the hallmark of fatigue. Now, fatigue is more complicated because they're central or brain-related fatigue and muscle fatigue. Um, if anyone will have experienced this before, if you've ever done a session and you want to carry on, but you just simply, as much as you push, you just can't do it. And that is usually that dehydrate is, I think they call it lactic acidosis, where effectively you have poisoned that area it's not the right word but you've just made it so in so unconducive for forceful contractions that you can't uh, like output the power anymore um in zone two training we want to be firing all our type one fibers i say all we want to be primarily if not completely reliant on our type one fibers and not to use much of our type two fibers um, we don't want lactate buildup. This is always some glucose being burned, so lactate will rise a bit in zone two, but it should rise to a point and stay there. You should get a nice plateau. This equates to you, um, you feeling like you can maintain your effort for an extremely long time. Once you recruit your type two muscle fibers, you'll start to fatigue um, much more rapidly. Uh, the rate at which you fatigue is variable. Uh, the rate will depend on how well trained you are and how well your mitochondria clear the lactate. Uh, the reason why you can maintain low heart rate efforts for a long time is that we have an infinite, well, almost infinite source of energy available to us in the terms of fat stores. The same is not true about glycogen stores. The easy way to look at it is if you exercise at, obviously intensity is going to be different, but you're going to see this in simply by how long the scale is. If you exercise at moderately high intensity, you're going to have about an hour, 60 to 90 minutes of glycogen stores. Uh, I think the liver can store something like 40 to 60 grams. And then I think the a moderately well muscular uh, male can store something between 6 and 1,000 grams of glycogen in the muscle. So maximum a kilogram now you say you're a hundred kilos or i'm just going to use a hundred for the ease of the maths um actually we can do 80 say you're 80 kilos if you're 25 percent body fat well quite easily that is 20 kilograms 20 times the amount of glycogen um, that you can store will be fat so you can see there from that obviously cyclists runners endurance athletes in general don't like being too heavy but look you're probably still 15 percent at that point you're still talking what um, 12 kilograms so 12x what you can store and likelihood is if you are a smaller individual with less muscle mass that thousand, that one kilo of glycogen is probably actually going to be 800 grams, 700 grams. So we're getting back into those 15, 20x kind of figures. So that's why fat is so crucial to be a primary fuel source and why zone true training is so critical. So hopefully by this point, it's kind of clear why um, zone two training is so important and how it actually makes you a faster athlete. I think some of the bit that's kind of lost in all of this, often when it is put forward, is that people take it to mean I should only run slowly sometimes. Um, I think the, the key is to emphasize that polarized nature, but the fact that that is for elite athletes now, Say an elite runner is running 15 to 20 hours a week and you're running 5. Then an 80-20 is probably not the best bet for you. Maybe look at it as more of a, okay, how many days a week are they running hard? Okay, well, say they're doing two hard sessions a week and they're running six times a week. Well, say you're still running five times a week but just amounting only to five hours. Then you can still do... On a week you're feeling better, two hard sessions, and a week you're not feeling so great, uh, just do one hard session. And look at it in that sense. The high intensity stuff is still critical 
for um, achieving both longevity and for achieving uh, good race performances. Um, but it is key that zone two is not overlooked. So how do you know when you are in zone two? This is something that I think, I don't know, there, if you look around enough, you do figure it out. There are very di- various different metrics, and it doesn't have to be overly con- un- complicated. So, until recent um, years, athletes needed to go um, to performance uh, laboratories for indirect calorimetry or stick themselves to measure lactate acids um, or like sort of prick themselves to measure. Uh, lactic acid to try and determine or well, lactate to determine where they um, uh, transitioned from aerobic which is predominantly the fat oxidation region to zone 3 and above uh, the transition point goes by many names we'll call it the first lactate threshold or LT1 for this case of this anything below LT1 is considered aerobic um, you're mainly using fat oxidation for energy production in that zone so for performance athletes and high-level endurance athletes, it's well worth your your effort to go to a performance lab for a professional um, dissemination of your LT1 and LT2. These will precisely determine when you transition in and out of zone 2. Now the reason I say for performance athletes, I should have really said for people where this is becoming your livelihood, really. Um, I think any recreational athlete you're probably leaving or almost definitely leaving enough on the table just in volume alone um, that knowing precisely where your transition points are um, is not really necessary do do I think you running five hours a week or riding five hours a week or just doing sport five hours a week and having this information versus someone kind of winging it with the um, next methods I'm about to list, but training ten times a week, ten hours a week, you're gonna beat them because of that. Probably not, unless they're just their internal compass of what is zone two is completely skewed. At which point, yeah, there's other things to work on. But I think that's simply it. I don't think there is a need. Um, to go and get yourself tested unless you are looking for final percentages. So, as I mentioned, there are various methods um, that you can use to calculate your zone 2 heart rate or whether you're in zone 2. So, using heart rate first. When you are in zone 2, your heart rate is somewhere between 65 and 70% of your maximum heart rate, as I've already mentioned. Um, using your heart rate is probably your best way to identify what zone you're in. For um, and it specifically works quite well with zone two because it's a steady state, and you're probably going to be in it for hours. Whereas using heart rate for the kind of higher intensity stuff, the higher the intensity goes, the more of a lag there is in your heart's response to it, and there's a little more cardiac drift I find through the session. Whereas zone two you can just kind of get away with warming up easier than you think you need to run for that session and then as your heart sort of comes up and starts to plateau you can then sort of tune your way into and edge your way into the exact frame you want to be within for zone two um so uh, for an accurate assessment uh you need to know your maximum heart rate and your resting heart rate um it's kind of hard to resting heart rate obviously really easy just take your heart rate as soon as you get out of bed maybe give yourself a minute or sat upright calm down from your alarm waking up or whatever and just measure it and then as i've mentioned earlier getting your maximum heart rate can be pretty difficult you can use 220 minus your age but depends again how accurate you want to be you can always just use that and just go off own initiative if you know you're someone if you compare yourself to people of your own age who of similar fitness who just constantly is always at a high heart rate then maybe you can use the 220 minus your age if you're someone who you know you just always seem to have a lower one um then just take some uh, beats off if you take five beats off and your zone 
2 goes from uh, 155 to 148. It's much better than if you're overestimating your peak zone 2 heart rate because you're still going to be in zone 2 likelihood if you're under your exact peak. But if you go over, you're just definitely not. There are also uh, various kind of things like training peaks that talk about things like uh, heart rate reserve, which is supposedly um, 70% of your heart rate reserve is a great estimate, according to training peaks, of uh, upper bounds of your zone 2. If you choose to use approximately 70% of your heart rate reserve, the formula um, is uh, 0.7, so 70% times heart rate max versus heart rate at rest plus heart rate at rest um, just look it up on the training peaks website there are various other things you've got Strava that will have its own kind of method of doing it and just set specific zones but on to breathing this I think really is one of the best ways of keeping yourself incredibly honest with zone 2 I use it all the time I use it for fatigue I use it for knowing if I'm in zone 2. I just think it is a great method. Um, and especially if you are running, cycling, swimming, and you don't have a wearable where you can just constantly look at it and go, I'm at like 120 beats per minute. This is okay. If like you're running, you're going to have to get your phone out all the time. That's tedious. If you're cycling, you don't have a bike computer and you have to take your phone out all the time. Again, tedious swimming for i don't know if you have to finish a length and then look at your phone which is at the side of the pool that is now covered in water that's tedious so breathing let's get into it if you can speak easily and in full sentences without having to pause at all you're probably in zone one or two if you can breathe uh, through your nose for an entire run, you are likely in zones one or two. Again, if you can speak or arguably sing, I wouldn't go that far, but if you can speak but need to pause occasionally to breathe, you're probably in zone two. That is probably when you know you really are in zone two. When it's kind of like, say, you're running with a friend and it's like, uh, so, how uh, how's it going? And you kind of push through. A little bit sometimes. So you get a break and then go, okay, I'm all right. And you just, you, the, if you were on the phone with someone, right, and you were riding, they would know without the wind noise, so you're on an indoor trainer, they would know you're doing something. It's not like me talking to you now where it's, it's completely uh, fluid and there's no um, unnatural kind of pauses. I may use filler words because I have the breath to use the filler words. That's when you know you really are in zone two. And the reason I say this is great for keeping yourself honest and it also helps with fatigue is that I find if I'm running too hard, sometimes I will still be able to kind of speak with you. Like as you get fitter and you get a better CO2 sensitivity, you may become more comfortable with that carbon dioxide in the lungs and in the blood and allow you to talk. But then as the glucose that you're using up that is key for the brain's function starts getting used up, I find that my desire to talk becomes lesser and lesser. And so I'm not saying you have to talk to yourself the whole run. But I mean, occasionally if you're in your own head and you're just muttering something to yourself in your head, occasionally just come out with it out loud. Start the run, 10 minutes in, have a little conversation with yourself. If that flows well, carry on. And then just to have little check-ins with yourself. It can be as simple as going, am I in zone two? Would I be able to have a conversation with someone right now? Would I be uh, pausing to, you know, naturally that allows for people to talk to each other. Now, if you cannot speak for more than a few seconds before you need to pause and you're probably in zone three and then if you just can't talk at all is zone five and whatever zone four and five um by all means um if you can hear yourself breathe it depends what you're like really but i think some people say if you can hear yourself breathing like panting i suppose you're not in zone two i simply just use the talking 
So if you really pay attention to your breathing, um, you'll kind of notice an inflection point, a point at which things really start to push on a bit. Um, this is where you notice that you take a deeper breath every so often or you open your mouth to take a deep breath. Um, some people, just because of the way your airways are and your nose, it, I rarely run around with my mouth closed and it just feels a bit uncomfortable. It's not even that I can't just sit there breathing through my nose. It's more the fact that it just, just feels nicer to have my mouth open when I'm running. Um... Elite athletes will be tested extensively to determine precisely when they are in zone 2. You and I really do not have an easy access to those kind of labs unless you just want to spend money. And when elite athletes are in a lab, they will measure their lactate to see when it starts to transition upwards after an initial plateau. Um, Many scientists may also study their respiratory uh, um, quotient, uh, RQ as it's called, this is the calculation that is based on the expired CO2 to determine what fuel they are burning. Uh, this was the reverse calorimetry where you can, from the oxygen going in, which you know because of the atmosphere, and then what they exhale, and then various other calculations, you can figure out what fuels people are burning at a given time. This is all very useful data for people who are at the elite end. For us for becomes less so i'd like to avoid having to shovel a bunch of money into just getting better at a sport yeah when you're at the pointy end sure yeah if you've got the money and you want to do it purely out of interest but i would never do it as an amateur because you want to better your performance spend that four hours that you spend traveling to the place training <laughs> uh, another really useful is I, and it's one I I use the breathing while I'm in the session, and then I use post session just to look at it and see if I okay I'm on point or I need to dial it back a bit. Is the Mathetone method or Mathetone method? Um, this was invented by I believe his surname's Mathetone. Forget the first name, but there's a he's, you type it in. I think he's been on uh, the drive. Um, Various other YouTube channels have spoken about him, and yeah, well known. Simply, uh, your uh, 180 minus your age, which is a formula that is used to then calculate your um, maximum aerobic heart rate. Uh, Maffetone observed in his athletes that uh, this was the point at which their form began to break down as they made the transition from being predominantly aerobic to using aerobic energy uh, anaerobic energy systems um it's i I think it's a little bit different to zone two um the numbers may differ slightly but for the most part especially when you're new and really doing high intensity might not be the best point of starting when you're just you know just started running, just started riding, just for four to six months, just just enjoy yourself and build up some volume and use this number, 180 minus your age, as just, I will not go over this. Obviously, if you go with someone and there's a hill and you want to just go balls to the wall up it, yeah, do that. But I wouldn't worry about any form of structure. I'd just noodle around sub this number or at this number and enjoy yourself so especially for riding i think this is quite important to mention is cardiac drift um given all the talk at heart rate about heart rate it's worth talking about cardiac drift a little bit so cardiac drift will occur for most people near the end of a long run or ride Uh, this means that your heart rate starts trending um, upwards despite holding the same wattage on the bike or minute mile pace or minute k pace on a run Um, dehydration can drive cardiac drift uh, but more likely in uh, non-elite athletes cardiac drift is due to metabolic stress Um, you're leaving zone two and using more type two muscle fibers due to just simply the fatigue um, induced on the type 1 fibers those type 2 fibers burn glucose and produce more lactate 
the lactate causes your muscles to be less effective and consequently you need to work harder to maintain the same effort aka the heart needs to work harder to maintain the same effort um, what do you do if you see your heart rate drifting um, as you drift adjust your effort to maintain the same heart rate is kind of the best thing obviously during an event this is not the case but during training, don't keep the same effort. As your train improves, your metabolic flexibility, mitochondrial, mitochondrial efficiency, as well as your muscles' ability to clear lactate will improve. As you train and fitness level improve, you will notice that the time when you start to drift will also improve. One thing uh, I like is just don't, again, don't pay attention to this in a race. It's a cool metric to look at, but in a race, it's just toys away, train, like, race hard. Now there's also uh, DFA one alpha, DFA alpha one, HRV log app thingy above. Now I'm going to just read from uh, a bit of text because I had no idea about this. Heard it in comments and needed to look into it. And this is what it is. So the science behind using DFA alpha one is quite complex, apparently and way 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 over my head really um, uh, this technology is available to everyone with a heart rate rate strap preferably apparently polar and a smartphone your hrv or your heart rate variability is considered to be a biome uh, a barometer of your parasympathetic nervous system activity um so your um fight or flight i forget you got sympathetic and parasympathetic which are fight or flight and rest and digest your hrv or heart rate variability changes during exercise by detecting these changes you can calculate the dfa alpha one a dfa alpha one value of 0.75 or above correlates with zone one or zone two heart rate um 0.75 might be your first lactic acid threshold or lt1 and recent literature shows that there's a good correlation between um, alpha 1 of 0.75 and your upper zone 2. However, recent literature shows that there are many outliers. Some people uh, were 20 beats per minute higher than their actual zone 2 heart rate. That could be a difference between zone 2 and zone 4 or even 5 depending on an individual. Uh, if you want to use DFA apps, you need to correlate it with your heart rate, breathing and preferably lactate testing to be sure that your DFA alpha 1 level of 0.75 is accurate predictor of your upper zone 2 levels. And from that, I simply take away that it sounds like you have an app that needs to be verified against other stuff. So why not just use the other stuff? I suppose this is dynamic and it can confirm and I suppose it would allow you to compensate for other stresses where I suppose zone 2 heart rate may no longer be zone 2. But I think the heart is a good enough metric. I know people complain about it not being consistent. But to some extent, isn't that lack of consistency inherent in your um, your your status to train? Like you don't always come to a training session fit as a fiddle and like raring to go and your heart rate reflects that so in a way if your pump your heart is going a lot harder or isn't going as hard for a given output that you feel is zone two or more then it's kind of a good indication that something's not right so how long should you spend in zone two? Um, the optimal will be four days per week of about 60 to 90 minutes. Um, this may vary a little between sports, but I would say cycling on the higher end and running on the lower end, really. Um, five days would be even better. Three is probably, I mean, it depends on your training status, but again, it's four probably being your best bang for your buck. And then if you're really keen, push it to five. Um, so to finish, a message to all the Zwifters, trainer roaders, and all the other overtrainers. Um, many elite training programs use a polarized mix of 80-20. 80% of your training zone in zone two and 20 at higher F, 
that's like threshold or VO2 max. Um, now, surely these trainers and sports physiologists know a little more about training than the rest of us? Probably true. Now, as I mentioned before, I think normally when these platforms, people talk somewhat bad on them, um, is because they're not following an 80-20. And I think places like Trainer Row now offer 80-20s, as far as I'm aware. Um, I think more this is what I'm trying to get at, is the use of high intensity and too much of it, because it is uh, eye-catching and fun for the short period, and that's what gets bums on saddles and subscriptions paid. Because... And it also sounds groundbreaking. Whereas if you sign up to a plan and it just says mm, ride at zone two for two hours, you're like, is that really, really the best thing for me? Um, but just as a note, training too hard and too often might actually take years off your life. Um, and the test, so a test has revealed that arrhythmias an abnormal heart rhythm. Uh, this was one of those arrhythmias that result in higher risk of death. These are the kind of things that can be increased with too much high intensity. Now, this is not to fear. It's more just to put emphasis on the fact of the need for balance. Um, your heart is a muscle. It can wear out. Let's assume that you have about 3 to 4 billion beats in your heart before it tires out. This is one reason why people with lower heart rates often live um, longer. Now, you may think that oh, I shouldn't exercise at all. Well, on our, if you are doing an adequate balance of uh, training, then you will, in a given year, utilize fewer beats than someone who is sedentary. But that could be reversed if you are just going at it too much. You've got chronic levels of fatigue, so you're no longer actually having a lower resting heart rate. You may have a slightly elevated one to that of someone doing a lot of zone two. There's also a reverse J curve of all cause mortality benefits from exercise. Uh, current studies suggest that 2.5 to 5 hours a week of moderate to vigorous physical activity will uh, confer maximal all cause mortality benefits. But studies dating back decades have shown that more than 10 hours a week may reduce those health benefits. Uh, this is known as the reverse J-curve. Simply because you get all these benefits and then they start to drop off. Um, there are large improvements in the risk of all-cause mortality for people who manage to walk 6,000 steps per day. Your all-cause mortality risk continues to decrease to a certain point, say around 15 to 20 miles per week for runners. This assumes that you're not running at your lactate threshold the entire time because at that point, that is a bit ridiculous. After 10 to 50 miles per week, you begin to lose some of those uh, benefits. For those who train 50 miles a week or more, you may give back as much as 38% of the risk of dying from all cause of mortality. Now, this is not to push people away from exercise. This is more just an emphasis on the fact that exercise has got the potential to do damage if not used correctly um, zone 2 heart rate training uh, offers uh, profound benefits to everyone regardless of whether or not you plan to pi your next race or live longer to play with your grandchildren or whatever it is that you're doing training for um, overtraining should be avoided it can have all for short-term and long-term consequences regardless of what you're trying to do if you're trying to race well if you sort of put yourself out of being able to do high intensity for two months then that's going to really sidetrack you and i don't know if you pick up a heart arrhythmia that's going to prevent you from picking up grandchildren when you're older i suppose so yeah <laughs> just try not to overtrain. um it's very easy to get lost in all the weeds and with all the self-help stuff and all the training apps kind of pushing all this like the high intensity stuff all the time and intervals coming out of your eyeballs but just sort of take it easy assign a day or two a week where you're going to do high intensity and the other days 
just enjoy yourself. I know high intensity might be fun, and it is fun, but just enjoy yourself on those other days. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more content like this, there are plenty of previous episodes to check out. But before you do, why not follow the podcast and leave a rating wherever you get the podcast from, or even better, share it with a friend. For any comments, feedback, or if you would like to suggest a topic for future episodes, I can be contacted at the vo 2 lounge at gmail.com. And with that, I will see you in the next one. Episodes, I can be contacted at the vo 2 lounge at gmail.com. And with that, I will see you in the next one.